0: What's up? MT Live, same crew that you'll see Friday if you want to go to Borgata in Atlantic City. Braun, Todd Frazier, Eric Kratz will give you more info on that. But again, we'll be in Atlantic City. We'll talk about um, playoff baseball, which also will reach the World Series by a week from tomorrow.
1: Hmm.
0: Todd, Father, and me were just complaining because we're good at that. (laughs) Kratz. So I think the latest a series can go is Tuesday. Does that sound right? I think game seven would be Tuesday.
1: It's too far away. Yeah.
0: So that would be game seven of Diamondbacks Phillies, which let's be real. That's unlikely. So I just, I hate when we're in the moment and then we wait a while. So even if you went the full seven, which we won't, right? Likely we'll be done with this round by Monday. Ready for it? Don't, we're not talking about the long layoff shit. I'm over that. I'm just talking about fan experience of watching playoff games. Tuesday, no baseball. Wednesday, no baseball. Thursday, no baseball. Friday, we start again.
1: Not a fan. That's a long time. That's unnecessary.
0: Do you guys need that much time? This isn't the Super Bowl where we have to like hype it up. I think, if anything, it dies down. Baseball's a momentum yes. sport.
1: Go ahead,
2: Eric. No, I, I think it's a momentum sport, and I think the rest is fine. I don't think they need that rest. The Super Bowl, it's two weeks off. They take two entire weeks off between the NFC, AFC championship till the Super Bowl. So this is fine. This is not a big deal. Like there's build up. You can build stuff up. And honestly, you're anticipating the World Series. Like this is the main stage. This is what everybody is hoping their team gets to. So nah, I think it's a good, I think it's a good layoff. What, I mean, you can't how, how soon do you want to start? You want to start a Wednesday? Here we are, watching Wednesday's game. First game of the World Series. Neat. So, yes, to, I, re, I, I do. I want to start it Wednesday. Wednesday's res- a good day. I
1: respectfully disagree with you because I love you. Football's a different sport. You, you, I could go play football right now. That's how much – the layoff in football between baseball players and football players is different, bro. I got to see live. Three or four – I'm still upset about the whole five days off thing. You're I, still I'm, on that? Oh, I'm pissed off. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was bull. They got to figure something else out. And I saw AJ's rant about the whole thing. Listen, I didn't like it. I, I, I think that was part of the reason why they, those teams didn't win. I'm not trying to make excuse, but that's the excuse I'm making. I, I don't five days off, come on, dude. Wait, I, wa- I want to give one day one or two day,
2: two days off after the final game of the World Series, and let's get going. So you're saying that it's really tough to sit on the bench for a lot of days and then get thrust into a game yes. and, and try to perform. It's hard. It is hard, like it's really hard. Oh, you're telling me you're it's getting, not hard.
0: No, you're getting set up. You're no, getting because, set up because, right now because yeah. we're talking to a guy who did that as well. Yeah, oh,
1: of course. No, I know where he was going with it. Yeah, the playoffs. I've been there. I've been the there. Too. <laughs> I've been there t- I'm t- I, hey, the guys that have been playing, you got it. You gotta let them play, man. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's get it popping. Base, well, baseball's a sport where we don't give much love anyway. If you want the truth, like the anticipation of the football playoffs is like, oh, let's go. The anticipation of Basketball, you know, college—whether it's NBA, people love that stuff. People love the baseball anticipation. But if you you lose four or five days, you're going to lose a lot of people too, as well. In my opinion, like what from what I've seen, like oh, it's great. There's no New York teams in there. I mean, I, Philly, thank God, still involved. But you know, it, it's a different it's a different thing. Like people love the playoffs. I'll, I'll still watch the Raiders play the Chargers if it's the first round of the football playoffs. You know what I mean?
0: Baseball is a momentum sport. It's a volume sport. Like yes. you, you, you. um have the comfort of being able to go to your device and yeah. watch a game every day from spring training and to Feb all the way through the end of October.
1: People
2: That's need their sleep too. Ask a, ask a regular <laughs> fan. I know this doesn't – Scotty <laughs> P, you don't sleep, so it doesn't apply to you. Yeah. People I'm need out. their sleep. When your team's in the playoffs, at the end of whatever it is, if this is a four-game series for the Phillies or a seven-game series for the Astros-Rangers, you're sitting there at the end and you're like <laughs> – I need a night's sleep. These are all 1130 nights and my alarm still goes off at six in the morning to get up for work. So you need, you need to sleep. I like it. I like it.
0: Let's get into the Astros and the Rangers. Let's charge the damn bound. And we've got ourselves a little bit of a series. You know who had a long layoff? Max Scherzer had not pitched in a minute. You know, some things I noticed Kratz were that he actually got to two strikes very frequently and I, I didn't crunch every single number. I just wasn't putting dudes away. And some of that could be on him. Some of that could be on the Astros too. Pretty good contact team. And they were sitting on the fastball and sometimes got it over the heart of the plate. Um, they did their damage. They did their damage early on. This was like many playoff games that we've seen so far in 2023. You jump ahead, you get a lead like that. And the Rangers showed some fight. especially Josh Young had himself a day but it wasn't enough. This is what you'd expect. This is Road Astros baseball with Javier and the boys showing up.
2: Road at the Globe, too. Not just, not just regular Road Astros at the Globe Astros. Like Globe Life has been their they've been their daddy there. I mean, it is it's it was impressive too because they kept like the two run. I'm trying to think who it was. Oh, when when uh, when Josh Young hit the second home run had the Astros not added on there and this I think is where the bullpen strength maybe maybe inflexed a little bit by the Rangers they didn't quite have the strength to keep that a 5 that would've been a 5-4 game after Josh Young hits that dinger instead it's 7-4 you're still three game you're still three runs up like you don't even need to bring Brian Abreu in like there's things that Weaknesses that I think were shown by the Rangers, but man, the Astros, and now they're coming into tonight's game against—I mean, the entire lineup hits over 250 against Andrew Heaney, which I was surprised. I think Andrew wow. Heaney, in a in a small <clears throat> sample size, he can throw that curveball enough, but you can't just keep throwing the curveball. And I think that's his best best weapon to neutralize these guys.
1: Yeah, and you and you think about the whole situation with they're like. You know, when you're facing guys like Maldonado, usually you, you put those kind of guys away. And, you know, two strike, RB, couple RBI single. Um, what's his name? Is just um, the, the big dogs cracking all the home runs. I'm just Jordan. Jordan oh Alvarez gosh. is just, Ugh. he's unconscious right now. It doesn't matter if it's a lefty throwing, a righty throwing, ambidextrous. It doesn't matter. This <laughs> guy is <laughs> off the chain right now. You, you have to go like this. Anytime there's a runner on, I mean, there's there something. Going on. He is just absolutely in fuego. He's going to make a lot more money too with the way he's playing. It's just what I think about now, if they do go game seven, <clears throat> it's that sure's their start. You know, that that's what's supposed to be the starter that comes out. So it's like, boy, they I think the Rangers right now, it's crazy how momentum can shift from one game to the next. And all of a sudden you're up two to one. It doesn't feel like you're up two to one. So um it's something where I, I think. At the end of the day, the Rangers would like to win this in six, six games, I, I would assume.
0: And the bottom of the lineup showed up too, Kratz, as we're looking at Mad Max. Bottom of the lineup for the Astros. And they made the change. They made the change. Kyle Tucker down to the six hole. Yep. Don't tell me that lineup changes don't matter. Brantley up to the two spot. Tucker was a beast yesterday, an on-base machine. He had three walks and a knock. And then the bottom of the lineup, like you mentioned with Maldonado, also had Mauricio Dubon, who can show up and give you a little streak like that yeah, yesterday, sure. who had a few knocks. So it was the bottom getting the job done for the most part for Houston. So give and them some credit when we've been like praising the Rangers length in their lineup, which it's still there. Josh Young yeah. getting the job done there towards the bottom and Tavares has been great for them. But the Astros have some thump there, too. Yeah,
1: and I know I'd said this in the beginning of the, in the, of the playoffs. I said, what's going to be the biggest difference? I said, listen, you're going to have your pitch and you're going to have your hitting. The biggest difference, how are those bottom of the lineup guys, seven, eight, nine, six, seven, eight nines, going to bode well? And Texas did in the beginning with Josh Young and um, Carter. But now Carter's a 3 all hitter. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show you, like, if you're hot, we're going to move you up. And Bruce Boche, I love that about him. So how are the rest of these guys at the bottom going to stack up? Because they're going to come up with some situations, as you've seen, with runners on especially. They walk a guy, the 3 all hitter, a bloop single. You know, put this guy on. Now you got your seven hole hitter up like all right, two outs. Who's gonna step up? Astros did that yesterday.
0: Yeah, and then you're I mean, he's either gonna do damage or, or get on base. And I actually well, thought one of the key moments too, Kratz, was you have Mo two um back foot literal slider yep. uh that hits him and gets him on. He eventually scores. Also, Max's command, you know, wasn't the same, right? We had some wild pitches, you had some pitches over the middle of the plate from the fastball, which you know is is not good from him. So um, I think for me, Tucker in that spot, right? Jordan's usually gonna be on or he drove people in. Uh, he was kind of like the second table setter there mm-hmm. for them. Best six hitter on the planet, if that's where
2: you're putting Kyle Tucker. It lengthened everything out. It showed, I mean, as soon as that lineup came out, that's why I wanted that I wanted the uh the Jordan walk because they're not gonna I didn't think they were gonna throw to Jordan. And then you get to Tucker in the six-hole. And you're like, oh yeah, no way they're gonna throw it a tucker now. And he ended up doing he ended up doing damage and lengthening that lineup out. And I think the big thing you you hit on that was key for Scherzer was his location. His his average fastball velocity, while it's not up to his like peak numbers, it was essentially where it was all season this year. He was a 93 to 94, touch to 95 guy. But it's that location. And to miss a pull-hooked Cutter that he was trying to go up and in to Jordan, and he pull hooked it back foot, or at least it looked like he was trying to go up and in because Haim had his had his mitt all the way up and in, and you know it's O two, you had it, you were ahead, and that's where you go with him. But to pull it to his back foot behind his front foot, that was it was telling, and that's why he gave up the damage that he ended up giving up. Like he didn't want to throw that ball to Altuve where he did and Altuve finally got off the Schneid too, which makes this team scary. Like, if the Diamondbacks win tonight, are we saying the same thing? Or this afternoon's 5 o'clock game? Are we saying the same thing? Because right now, everyone's like, oh, Houston's made – now we have a series. Like, it's still 2-1 Texas, and they're at home. But for some reason, we keep painting the narrative that the Astros are going to just mm-hmm. dominate in Houston. But that's what they've done all year. So it's like, <laughs> why, would, why would it go – why would it not –
1: Exactly. hundred percent. And they've been there before and they have done it numerous times. I've been, we've been a part of one. So it's like, what, what do you expect? Do you expect something different? They're not going to come out and do damage on the road. And we go back, I go back to the point Christian Javier, I mean, I don't know why this guy's not the, you know, number two starter, you know, why he didn't throw game two. Like this guy should, I know he's, that'll be game seven. Imagine having that guy game seven. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty darn good. If you ask me. But I would have moved him up. Like, this guy needs to be pitching a lot more.
0: Well, if they make the World Series.
1: I think you make a change.
0: And let's say Framber's not good again in his next start. Yeah. I mean, it's quite obvious. Christian Javier's got it a lot more than Framber Valdez right now.
2: Yeah, Verlander than him, 100%. Yep. So here's my, here's my question. If you see Javier, which he had some struggles during the season. He was the same guy last night. No extra velocity, no... You know, he he struggled with some command, and he wasn't striking guys out. If you see him more than once, Todd, yeah. think about how you start catching up to that fastball. And I think, to me, that's where in the regular season, guys are in the same environment, seeing him all the time. He only had three strikeouts last night. To me, there's a lot of Rangers, and this is the type of pitcher he is. You go back, he hit some pop-ups because he had a lot of fly balls. Oh, I just missed that. Oh, I just missed that. But now you see him again within a quick series. Within the seven you know four days that he, you're going to see him again, maybe you get to him. Yeah, but the, they, this is a guy that
1: they've seen before. I mean he, he's played Texas not in this environment, not Understood. with the extra I, No, I understand, but still it's uh it's a guy you've seen before, so like totally but is it, it's one of those, the playoffs oh they're all of a sudden it's totally different. I think it's different. Right. Yes. But I, I still think it's the same guy that that you're facing. It's just blown up a little bigger. I get it. I get but I saying. think
2: but I think his superpower is that spin rate fastball at the top of the zone. Everything gotcha. else he throws is just to Maldonado's like, please don't leave it right down the middle. Like he's given <laughs> wide sets. He's given like he's given deep corners on yeah. changeups. like he's not he's not looking for him to throw anything middle middle at all. This is where he's making his money. So to me, that fastball, because when Todd Frazier hits in the off, in the postseason, you got more juice. You're whacking balls. You just have that extra adrenaline. Christian Javier has that more has more spin rate, no more velocity, but yeah. more spin rate. That little at yep, the a end, little, ha- little heavier. Yep, yep, for sure.
0: My one other point is: Do you take anything out of Brian Abreu giving up his first run in? Um, decades. I, that was his first run in 31 appearances since July 15th. You know, Adolis had the two out RBI knock through the right side. It's not like he, he crushed it, but they got, a, you're getting another look at him. They kept the game close. Abreu is not pitching in that game. If it's eight, two, right. It was eight, four becomes eight, five. And we know the thing about a seven game series is if you use the relievers, your, your high leverage relievers, what five plus times in that series. Muscle memory, these are professional hitters. It helps. They are less intimidated the more they see him. Now you go in the dugout, hey, boys, he's human. Look, we got run off of him. We can do this. Because for a while, for half the freaking season, it didn't look like that was
2: possible. And rarely do you get seen that many times in a short span of time and you continue to dominate. And that's what's impressive about what Ryan Presley has done in his career. He's always going out there and just converting. Mariano Rivera, what he did in his career. He's like, you knew what you're getting and guys could not make the adjustment. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Abreu coming down the stretch here. You know, because he's going to, for them, it's like I said yesterday about Framber. Or, I mean, the day before his start. If he doesn't throw well, he's a key to this series because he's got to throw twice. For them to win after they lost game one, he's got to throw twice. If they lose game two, they did lose game two. If the Astros are going to win, you're going to have to see Brian Abreu out on the mound three more times. I don't see this getting being a blowout. In fact, I even see Heaney doing decent tonight.
0: FT Live back on stadium, Braun, Frazier, Kratz, and our first guest of the day, Hannah Kaiser, joining us uh, back on the show. You can follow all her work um, at Yahoo Sports, follow her at Hannah R. Kaiser on Twitter. And also I just listened on my drive to her uh, bandwagon pod. So we'll get into some of those topics right now. So Hannah, how you doing? And I will say, are you enjoying this postseason as much as prior postseasons? Because that was a topic that you brought up this week.
3: You know, not (laughs) as much as prior postseasons. Explain. (laughs) But I want to be clear. I think a lot of people's issue with the postseason is Perhaps like, oh, these big 100-win teams getting bounced. This is a illegitimate tournament or something. That's not my issue with it at all. My issue is strictly on a game level. We've had so few close games and even fewer lead changes. Every game feels like if you score first, all right, we're just – you know, counting the outs until that team wins. The best game we've had was when the Braves came back against the Phillies, and that was their only win in that series. I just think, like there haven't really been any truly memorable games. But I actually kind of like the teams we have left. So I think there's still hope for this postseason
1: let me let me ask you this. Are you a fan because we've talked about this a couple of times? You know. I, Some people agree. Some people disagree about the layoff, the five-day layoff. You know, the World Series is going to be on Friday. We can have two teams waiting another five days. So are you – what do you think about that whole situation? And I'll tell you what I say because I don't want to steer you one way or another.
3: Well, I think next year maybe we can give the top two seeded teams the choice. They can either take the break or they can play in the wild card if they really want to. Yes. (laughs) I think – I think I'm genuinely interested in – this is a new format. We're only in the second year. I'm sure teams are thinking critically in the offseason, in the lead-up to the postseason, how can we best maximize that break so that way we get the rest, but we don't get the rust, and we get to line up our pitching, but our hitters stay on time. I'm interested to see how teams themselves develop in years going forward, their approach to that break, but I don't think the break is a – a hindrance to the top-seeded teams.
2: Completely agree. Because if that's the case, then why is anybody even going to watch the World Series? Because we're going to be off for four days after the series are over. What did you see from Scherzer last night that the Rangers can say this was a positive? From from the game and from how he approached that this was a positive, because they're going to need to see him Again, if this game goes where I think it's going to go, and to a game seven.
3: Well, the velocity was good, so that's a big positive. And I I think your, your mileage on this can vary, but Scherzer himself seemed uncharacteristically positive after the game. I actually thought this was really interesting and really notable. He was... Explicitly, like I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to focus on what I thought I did well. He didn't want to specify too much what he thought he did well because he figured the Astros might be paying attention to what he said. Um, I I found that interesting. I'm curious what you guys think. I was expecting Scherzer, the you know Scherzer of yore, to be really hard on himself. And I don't want to encourage guys to be so self-loathing or self-critical or whatever because it wasn't. He was coming back after you know, over a month of not pitching, but it was uncharacteristic for him to be like, no, I think there's some good. I'm not going to focus on the bad. I'm just going to, you know, try to stay positive. I thought that was a, an unsherzer like way to respond to such a rough outing. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you think that now the Astros won that game? All right, two, two games, to one they're still losing, (coughs) excuse me. You think the momentum has shifted now to the Astros side just because of this one game?
3: Well, they seem to love playing in this ballpark. <laughs> so I think they thought the momentum had shifted just coming here. They they should feel good because they have Jordan Alvarez, you know? And that's a really good place for any postseason team to be. I don't know that momentum – I don't know that it was such a decisive game that, oh, they feel like they're going to steamroll the Rangers. The Rangers came back. Their offense looked pretty good. Their bullpen hasn't been as bad as people feared. So I don't think that it necessarily looks like this is suddenly lopsided in the Astros' favor, which maybe some people thought going into the series. I think the Rangers still feel pretty good. But the Astros look really comfortable batting it in Arlington. And uh, when they're comfortable, their lineup looks really good. Both these teams are getting pretty good production out of the bottom of their lineup when Mauricio Dubon and Leody Tavares are getting hits. I think that makes the rest of the lineup feel really good. In both clubhouses. So I don't know. I think tonight, this is a dumb thing to say, because of course, but it's like, I think tonight will be really interesting because uh, the Astros swept the Rangers here at the end of the regular season and now they've won the first game. So it's like, come on Rangers. Like you got to take back a little bit of that home field advantage. You have to, you have to leverage the benefit you got sweeping or taking the first two games from the Astros in their ballpark, or else it's just, you know, you've completely lost the advantage that that gave you.
2: You did a little piece on Jose LeClerc, diving into Jose LeClerc. Tell us something about Jose LeClerc that you were like, because he's not known. He's not known around the league for what he's, he's anchoring a team that right now to me is favored to go to the World Series.
3: Uh, He is very sweet. (laughs) And his fellow bullpen pitchers say he's, you know, he's the quiet, relaxed one, I think, Bullpens tend to get a reputation of being really goofy, really rowdy. He certainly seems like more of a a chill guy. Um, I thought it was so interesting that he talked about like – I tried to get him to say like, you know, did you ever picture this? I was like, okay, you're on the mound in the ninth inning. Like, can you imagine being there when the World Series ends and you guys win the championship? You'll be the guy on the mound potentially. And – he was like, no, I never, he was like, he was so adamant. He was like, I never even imagined I would be in the majors. He said, growing up in the DR, I I signed just for the bonus money. And I'm just, even in going into the postseason, didn't have any expectations necessarily of being their closer. Um, and I don't know if that's what's serving him so well. Maybe he doesn't feel the pressure that Some other pitchers might feel like they, you know, dreamed of this their entire lives. I also loved the story that I included in that piece that he said a real turnaround for him came earlier this season when, uh, after he had scuffled a little bit in the beginning and Bruce Bochy chalked those scuffles up to injury, but then he went home one night and his older son, he's got two sons, said, the Rangers won. And he said, yes, we won. And his son said, it's a good thing you didn't pitch. So that moment he really felt like, oh gosh, I don't want to, I don't want, he, he said that it was, um, it was his first realization that his sons understood baseball well enough to now, uh, see where he fits in, not just be excited about him, you know, being a major league baseball player, but they really, they can understand whether or not he's having a good streak or a bad streak. And and he wanted to have a good streak for them.
1: That's. That's really cool. You know, when your kids get older, they start, they say the darnest things, of course. But when they say it to your face and it's like, oh, my God, this kid really understands. I'm stinking right now. Let's uh, cross over in the, in the Philly territory. I said this before and I'll say it again the last couple of years. Is Philadelphia, is the stadium in Philadelphia, like, is that a real home field advantage? And I would say 100 percent. There's something about it. It's like a European soccer match, man. It is absolutely unbelievable over there.
3: It's unbelievable. I've had players who are not on the Phillies describe it as a football environment, as a compliment. Uh, And it's interesting because I I understand the impulse around baseball to want to quantify things and be like, all right, is momentum real? Is home field advantage real? But when you go to Phillies games, you're like, it doesn't really – you can't deny that it is um, like viscerally – overwhelming and I resisted it for a little while cuz I'm from Philly and I was like okay maybe I'm just biased I'm just I'm just excited to be back but the way that players and coaches around the league talk about it I think is really a testament to not just the team and the fans but like the interplay that they have with one another I love the way that different fan bases develop different personalities I managed to sort of incidentally finish the regular season in seattle both this year and last year and that fan base is passionate and engaged but in such a different way than philly they're really um generous and sort of empathetic towards the players (laughs) whereas philly fans really see themselves as like a part of The a part of the attack on the opposition. They're in line with the players, but insofar as they want to be part of what the players are doing to beat the other team, which I think is just a different attitude than some fan bases have.
2: So explain that, and that is such a great explanation because so many people living 45 minutes from the stadium, they're like, "Oh, you know, what is it like? Why is it different?" You you explain that perfectly. But explain how they do that. Explain how the fans, because not everybody's going to pay five hundred dollars to get a seat in mm-hmm. the nosebleed section at Citizens Bank, and they may never experience it. How do they? How do they do that? How do fans? Because everyone asks me, and I try to explain it in my dumb words, but you have a way with words, so let. I want you to explain it.
3: Well, they're very loud, and they. I, I mean. This is to their credit and to their discredit. They're very specific. The Phillies fans are there to make somebody on the other team feel bad. When they're batting, it's the opposing pitcher. When (laughs) the opposing team is batting, it's whoever is at the plate. They bring a real, like, intensity to the animosity. I mean, this is like... I I don't know. I I thought this was fun. Maybe some people don't. Like, when they were playing the Braves, the Phillies fans were chanting DUI at Marcelo Zuna, who had a DUI in his past. Like, they came (laughs) armed with oppo research. They were there to not just root for their guys to get a hit, but they were there to be like, I hope this other team fails, and I hope you specifically, whoever is standing at the plate right now, I hope you fail and you feel bad about it too.
0: That's like – college level research right sometimes the yes. really uh yes, hostile will. college crowds in basketball will have really specific signs and chants prepared kratz played with orlando arcia and he has said he's just a happy go lucky nice dude right <laughs> kratz for the most part they had he all had that one snap moment yeah, though where him. he was having fun with the fans all good all good i'm watching that video got him and he lost it for one sec and and acuna was bringing him back that's when you're like
1: no, he was this healthy. group
0: really can get under your skin, right, Kratz? Like you haven't seen him like that before, had you?
2: Never. I've seen it. You know, I've seen him upset, like, oh, I messed up or whatever. But before, you know, he was like, he was like, hey, I got, I got a ring, I got a ring, and then he turns around and he starts yelling, Coyote! Coyote! Yeah, and then he's He's like, got him. Mm, easily, like the goofy under, stuff. They were like, swimming was, in his head, dude. Yeah, they were swimming. So, as PA people, Hannah, this is what we do.
3: <laughs> totally.
2: This is what we do. It's, you do it in work. It's, it it's a knowledgeable,
3: it's a knowledgeable, passionate fan base. I think yes. that's the one yes. thing I will say is this is I'm gonna let my homerism take over for just a second and say, Yes, I want people to understand that like Phillies fans are not like uh some illiterate brutes who are just like they they know what they're doing and what they're watching and and they they come to the ballpark. Ready to root for their guys and ready to root against the opposition, but not in this sort of like cavemanny way. I think that the you know the the stories from the past have made it seem like it's just a like a violent mob, and I don't think it's so much a violent mob as it is people who take a lot of pride in the home field advantage that the Phillies have enjoyed over the last two postseasons. You, you I,
1: must you must never been to an Eagles uh, playoff game then. <laughs> So we, we can, that's another I have story. not, to we, be clear. That's another story we could talk about, those fans there. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: my God. They're giving them that's, an advantage,
0: though, Kratz, in no, Philly, like for the baseball team. They are team.
2: nasty. Here's, here's where – where, and Hannah might – she might agree with me or disagree with me, but here's where I think it's gone up a notch now because everyone hears about, you know, booing Santa Claus, throwing snowballs, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Our – my parents' generation with the Phillies – Knew about the '64 Phillies, and they just thought every single team was going to fall and collapse. So they just sat there and be, they were like, "It's probably going to, it's probably going to be bad." Even my grandmother, I hit a game tying home run one time, and she goes, "Well, nobody was on base." <laughs> like, <laughs> they like, find
1: something wrong
2: with it. Yeah, they will like find something wrong with it. Now, that's how it was. now the Phillies fans have shifted. Like, there's no more, there's no more people who have watched that. Those people are not the ones going to the stadium. It's a new generation of people who take that grit that I think Philly has as fans. And now they're like, oh, yeah. And we're a boss team. And our owner wants to pay. Mm -hmm. And we're about to go to the World Series (laughs) again. I I will say
3: (laughs) there are still some of those people because those people are my parents who last (laughs) year – would not let me put in for World Series tickets, the Baseball Writers Association of America lets us apply to get face value World Series tickets, yep. um, and you have to do it before the World Series, so you don't know who's going to be in it. And I, I offered to do that for my parents, and they did not want that because they were so sure that the Phillies were going to let them down that they didn't want to get their hopes up that they would even be playing in the World Series. There you and I was go. like, you know, they don't. They don't charge you if they don't go. It's okay. You can and no. So this year I put in for the World Series tickets from my parents. So we'll Good find out if it was a jinx.
1: Good for <laughs> you. Nice. I, I want to talk about Zach Allen a little bit. Um, Jersey guy. Um, this comment here actually makes me happy because um, call him Pork Roll the real name because it is, it is Pork Roll. Taylor Ham is the company, right? Yes. And can you agree mm-hmm. with that with me? So, did you get upset over the scrapple comment? Was it over scrapple? Yes. Oh, that scrapple is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting.
3: (gasps) There's no chance. There's no. 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 No.
1: (laughs) No. Have you read scrapple? No. Can you explain to him what scrapple is? I have. I've talked to Hannah about uh, it. I've always said I always say it wrong. People, I, 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 I thought. Go ahead. You explain it.
3: Well, it's like a cornmeal mush that is seasoned with pork scraps and oh, some spices, God. and then they it's kind of congealed into a a grayish upsetting looking loaf that you slice, and you either mm. deep fry it or you sear it on a skillet, and then you can serve it with syrup, kind of like sausage, or you put it on an egg sandwich. And I eat it for real. This is I think I want to be clear about. It is not like a goof food. It is not like a, you know, I don't know, deep fried Oreos or something at the county fair. It's you could go to my parents' house in South Jersey right now, open the fridge, open the drawer. There's scrapple in the fridge. We eat it at home. It's, it's like I spam. Eat at the it's basically Terminal.
1: like eating spam. That's, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. It's delicious.
3: Oh, it's delicious.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, I don't know how to get to the next topic cuz it's way more serious, but um I did hear you talk the other day <clears> on <throat> your pod about uh Kimming and her departure from the miami marlins we've covered it a lot the last few days we're actually going to cover it a lot today we have britt really coming on the show later on to go over this ken rosenthal was very vocal about it we we all have been because there is zero accountability right now in terms of an explanation so give us your thoughts and and don't hold back on the optics of this situation that in my mind because like i heard you talking about hey you're taking all the pride in, in hiring the first female general manager, and then you're trying to, like, basically just bury the story in the middle of the playoffs. Like, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. And, and if you do hire the first female general manager, you might have to have. Sure, it could not work out, but you're going to have to have more transparency because this is a story mm-hmm. that doesn't just get covered in sports. And I've actually been surprised because news stations were all over it when it first happened. I haven't seen almost any coverage of it at all besides this show and a few articles and podcasts.
3: Scott, that's a great point. You're right. I think that her hiring was seen as a watershed moment in industry and to the way that it has kind of flown under the radar. First of all, I should say, you guys, I'm I'm going to listen to you guys talk to Britt about it later because she's done such incredible work on this from like a real reporter standpoint, and she's such an expert on how this all went down. So she's the real, the real voice of uh, expertise here. I just think it was so disappointing. I want to be careful on how I talk about this because I don't want people to say like, oh, you think there's a double standard and women should get... More leeway or whatever, because that's not true. And first of all, people were pretty mad when Hein Bloom lost his job because they felt like he didn't get a fair shot. And there's you know all this stuff being written about how the Red Sox might be a not be an attractive job because they they have such short patience for their GMs, and we're talking like four years. And Kimang was uh, not fired, but perhaps not appreciated enough after only three years. So it, we're we're being fair in that sense, but. I also think, again, let me see how to say this without without saying something incorrect. She's making progress. And when you come in as a GM, you already are working against the incumbents and whatever it is. And, and also just being a GM takes a long time to manifest on the field because a lot of what you're doing is drafting and player development and trades for maybe minor leaguers who haven't come up yet. So we, you know the first two years it's you're not even really judging the her her work based on the product on the field but beyond that like she's someone who had so many years of experience in baseball but not at this level and that is a direct sort of result of sexism like we we can say i think sort of unequivocally that like Kim Ang did not get a GM job before this because she was a woman and so if she had been successful elsewhere, I think she would have gotten a longer leeway in in Miami or, you know, right. If she had been a proven championship builder, they would see the Marlins getting to the playoffs in three years as a sign that they were on the right path. And so in that way, even if they are judging her sort of fairly in the same way, they would judge a man, they are being biased against her because they're using her lack of, president of baseball operations type experience against her and that is something that she couldn't control because she interviewed for lots of gm jobs and it was widely known that she was overqualified and so in that way it's like maybe maybe she could have taken a team with a bigger budget all the way to the pennant and if she had done that in previous stops would she have gotten a, a better chance in miami maybe probably and in that way like you do have to be willing if you are going to take the step of hiring a female GM to give her a truly fair shot to show you what it is that she can do, and I don't know that they did that,
0: and the timing is insane. The Miami Marlins yeah. never make the playoffs. I live down there, so I can go over it. And also, I know that you know, aside from the news part, which is weird, that like news play, uh, publications, even just like sports spots that don't cover um news specifically like i mean baseball specifically like espn I, i'd be curious i you know i'm not watching enough to know but i'd be curious they were all over that story when it happened are they yeah. covering it a lot right now i don't think so but maybe i'm wrong I so. but I, I i haven't seen much from them and i follow them on social and all that right so for me the team made it to the postseason she built right. a better bullpen that fixed the one run record She picked up Jake Berger and Josh Bell at the trade deadline. Like I saw one article that was like, well, they signed like Segura and Gurriel. I'm like, yeah, for for pennies. I mean, those were like low level signings because they have no resources ever, the Marlins. The the, the problem also in our sport right now too, Hannah, is like every team wants to be the Rays. There's one freaking Rays, Mm -hmm. right? Every team's like, oh, we should spend nothing and be great and just rely on analytics. Well, how, how is that working for everyone else? Not that well. So and I know that there was an analytics discussion, which I think also I think you got into paints a bad picture for her, too, because it's not like she's not using information behind the scenes. So I just think everything about this story right now smells and it can be fixed if there's a conversation. I would think Kim is going to speak more publicly about it at some point because we know the Marlins aren't going to speak publicly about it. They would love to shove it under the rug and just move the hell
4: on.
3: I, I, I don't say this knowing anything, but I would not be surprised if she doesn't speak publicly about it, because if there has one thing that has defined Kim Ang's career, it is knowing that she can't publicly complain if she wants to continue to get opportunities in this industry. That was something that really stood out to me when she first got hired with the Marlins. And suddenly she was doing tons and tons of press specifically talking about, of course, being the first female GM of a men's major sport, but also the the, the path she took to get there and how overqualified she was. And that was sort of the first uh, major t- moment in which she got to talk a little bit about having to do all these interviews for jobs that she knew were performative and she knew they weren't taking her seriously. And, um, and she went a really long time not saying that (laughs) publicly. And she is someone who has consistently, I think, uh, done what she's needed to do to succeed in an industry that wasn't, uh, prepared to watch her succeed, at least not when she started her career.
0: Yep. And, And my thing is like, um, it, it, you know, if, if the Marlins were a hundred loss team in the last few years, like, cool, like, okay, we get it, you know? So it just hasn't been the case, but, um, good discussion, Hannah, have fun out there. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. We'll try and get some like more entertaining games for you. Um, maybe yeah. some comebacks some lead changes, stuff like that. And then we'll, uh, we'll catch you in a few weeks.
3: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: Ken good to see you what did you think (laughs) of game three do you feel like this completely changes the complexion of the series with how you know Scherzer was not there command wise and what it looks like going forward here with them going or against probably what a a tandem starter situation
4: it's the complexion of the series and John Smoltz talks about this all the time of course he was in so many playoffs and he says one game the narrative shifts and yes the narrative has shifted The Astros, we know, are a team capable of coming back from 2-0, especially when they're on the road, because they have this weird thing when they play better on the road. And I would say the matchup tonight, Urquidy versus the Heaney-Dunning combination, which is the most likely scenario for the Rangers, is favorable for the Astros. And then you have Verlander in Game 5, and things set up pretty well. And, oh, if this goes Game 7, you're getting Mr. October, Christian Javier. So who knows how this will turn out. The Rangers are a fantastic team. I love watching them play. They did some things last night really well, even though they lost. So we'll see. Just have to play it out.
2: So does the narrative shift because of the history that we know, or does the narrative shift based on what you saw from their players? Guy like Altuve actually gets some hits. Who hadn't got hits? Tucker hadn't been on base. Now he gets on base twice. So, Is it the predetermined narrative that we have in our head? The Astros are so good. Christian Javier is going to pitch game seven. Or was it what you saw on the field that made it shift?
4: That's a great point, Eric. It's what I saw and what we all saw on the field. They put up eight runs last night. They hadn't hit really the first two games the way they wanted to. Alvarez is impossible to get out right now (laughs) for the most part. You have – Altuve, yes, did some better things last night. Tucker really looked much better with three walks and a double. They have Brantley. They have Dubon. They have some things going here. And it's just they're the Astros, man. They're there every <laughs> year, and they're a team you cannot count out. We know this. We watch this. And then when they get down 2-0, you start to wonder, is this it? I wrote that. Is this it now? But here they come. And listen, I just can't wait to get to the park today and see what happens tonight and then hopefully we have a good long series here because these two teams are quite evenly matched in certain ways and they're quite good. So it's fun to watch them go at each other. Ken, there are some
0: topics in baseball in life that fans and, and people, you know, outside the game just love talking about. Weather slash the roof situation is one of them. It just pops up on social all the time. <laughs> and this is like the all roof debate series because they talk about it all the time in Houston for years. I've always been a part of it. Our fans are like,
4: why is it open?
0: Or why are they closing it?" And who's making the calls and whatever. And now we have that situation going down with Globe Life Field. So I just wanted to see if you have any thoughts on the matter. And I do think it can impact a game. I mean, I know in Globe Life, like the ball will probably travel a little bit further with the roof open.
4: Scott, you're absolutely right. And the players say that, the coaches say that, that the ball is definitely more prone to fly when the roof is open. Now, generally speaking, pitchers in particular like it closed because they want conditions controlled. And the players, too, in many cases, want it closed, especially when we have a late afternoon start and the shadows are a factor. You can understand all that. But you have. Certain times during the postseason when the weather is beautiful, and you say to yourself, What the heck is going on here? Why is it closed? Now, in this particular park, my understanding is that the dew point and the humidity are factors when MLB makes its decision because I guess the pipes up top can drip, something like that. I don't know. But tonight it'll be open. It's a beautiful day here in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So it should be a lot of fun to see. The game under the elements it's the way the game is meant to be played we know that these stadiums have roofs for a reason we know that too the roof at globe life hasn't been open since may 21st why because it's hot as heck in the summer here so (laughs) it'll be fun tonight to have it open
1: hey my question to you ken um i want to talk about evan carter real quick how great he's been uh, this emerging young superstar and how he's going to be great for years to come, which I think as well, but this might sound silly, but you know, the guy batted ninth, he's batted fifth. Now he's batting third. Can that, I I'm, I don't know lack of a better, word, can that take a toll on a younger guy being like all right, a little more pressure now all of a sudden now they're looking for him to do bigger things. I'm not questioning Bruce Bochy, but I'm thinking there was Josh Young and the bottom of the lineup and him, they dominated that eight and nine hole. Can there be something
4: to that a little bit? I don't know, Todd. I've been around this kid for a couple of weeks now and he is unflappable he's one of these guys that is just enjoying himself enjoying playing in this environment and the rangers feel that he can handle anything and last night my goodness christian javier is rolling right he allows the two-run homer to young but he gets knocked out when carter hits a 109 mile per hour shot over kyle tucker's head on a fastball which of course is javier's dominant pitch so I have yet to see this kid be overwhelmed by anything. And for that reason, he's fine in the number three spot.
2: He's fine seemingly wherever they put him. Have these been good games? We've had kind of like, kind of blowouts. Hannah Kaiser was just on and she said the games have kind of been, eh. I'm a huge baseball fan. You're a huge baseball fan. I find so much. I feel like the games go so fast. They're not boring. But have they been good games?
4: No, Eric. It's a great question. And I'm with Hannah and Tom Verducci and I on the way back to the hotel last night were actually talking about this. The postseason could use a couple of classics. We really (laughs) haven't had those kinds of electrifying games yet for the most part. There have been a couple. So I'm with Hannah here. I do believe I'd like to see a game end late and turn late turn a couple of times during the game. We haven't seen that. But I'm like you also, Eric, that there's so much in these games. They're so rich that I'm never bored or anything by them. (laughs) But have they been as competitive as maybe we would all like? Probably not.
1: Let me ask you this, too, as well. The dugout, I know you get your conversations in. Have you gotten any backlash from that? And How's that been going with the players? Because I really enjoy, like, after a home run, you get to talk to a guy like Altuve. And,
4: like, how's that been going? It's going fine. And... There was some backlash from fans on social media last year, but Todd, every time I open my mouth or write something, there's backlash from fans on social media. So I'm kind of immune to it by now. It was jarring for people last year, certainly to see this. And I understand that I don't necessarily believe it's our place to be in the dugout. But when Fox first came to me and they came to Tom as well about this idea, we embraced it, and we embraced it because, one, it's not terribly intrusive. We're in there for, I don't know, a minute or two. There's two questions max, one oftentimes as well, and we're out. That's it. We're out of there. It doesn't disrupt the broadcast. Everybody still gets to see what's going on in the field, and it does give insight. This is the most important thing, into what players are thinking in the moment, and that's the idea, to capture their emotions in the moment and It can be really telling at times to see how a guy reacts to a big moment. Remember last year, Bryce Harper hit that home run off Suarez in the NLCS, the series-clinching home run, and to have him available for an interview right after that was one of the cooler things in my career, to be perfectly honest. So it's going well. Now, some players say no. We have a list of players who approved it, and we have a list of players who don't. Obviously, if a player doesn't want to do it, for whatever reason, he doesn't have to. Some players just don't like being distracted in any way during the game. Some have told me, Ken, I'm afraid of what I'm going to say on live (laughs) TV in the moment. So it's all good and it goes how it goes. And I'm sure we'll have some moments tonight that will be conducive to those interviews.
0: So one more look behind the curtain. You know who will say yes. What is the next step? When something happens, how do you decide who you're going to actually talk to, obviously you're mostly looking for those big moments. Is it the communication with the production team and then you go to the PR and then to the player? What's the play-by-play?
4: Scott, this is a good question too, and it is interesting. So the first thing I will do is ask my producer, do we want him? Producer says yes, producer says no, two outs, generally we don't do it. Obviously we're gonna to go to commercial. And then we have a text chain, with myself, a representative from Major League Baseball and Rangers or Astros, public relations representatives. And I will say, okay, we good here. And that's how we go about it. It all happens pretty quickly. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. And then what I'll do is move from the camera well to the dugout. Different parks have different entrances. In this park, Globe Life, I have to walk out onto the field and then down the stairs into the dugout. I'm at the far end of the dugout from the manager. So I'm not disrupting the manager or pitching coach. That would not be good. And what I'll do is kind of make my way down the dugout a little bit, not going too far, and try to get the attention of the player. The player says yes or no. Even a player who is on the approved list can say not right now. And then we go from there.
2: So a way to appreciate your friends, your coworkers, is to wear something custom of theirs. We saw what Maldonado did. When are you going to wear some FT foul territory shoes? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you guys make me some
4: FT foul territory shoes, I will wear them. It was last year, I think, or two years ago, I wore sneakers that had the athletic logo, the Fox Sports logo, must have been two years ago, and the MLB Network logo. And we auctioned them off. It was really cool. So if you want to do something like that, Eric, I'm game, man. What size are you? Sevens? I'm not going to oh. admit that on television or even. On TV or whatever. <laughs> what is what the <laughs> FT I FT bow tie, too, way. by the way. I'll say this, Eric. You're a good guesser. Thank right <laughs> you. I, I won't say it on TV.
1: Come on,
0: man. <laughs> I like, I love those. Did you like those cleats? That, that, oh, yeah, that,
1: sure. I, I need them. Need them downstairs. Mm-hmm. Hey, need can, <laughs> <laughs> I right. want to talk to you about Jose Altuve a little bit. He's a couple homers away from being the top dog in most home runs in in the playoffs. I I think that's incredible for for a leadoff hitter as well, man. What what, what have you seen from him so far?
4: Well, until last night, he was struggling. And he was going through one of those phases that hitters go through from time to time. But he is one of the more remarkable players, honestly, that we've ever seen. And you can see when I interview him, it's the only guy in the game for the most part that I'm eye to eye with. And... He is muscular, but he's not overly muscular, and yet he gets to balls that no one else can get to. John Smoltz highlighted last night that ball down that he swung through and then got a hit on the next pitch. The (laughs) ball he hit for the home run was at the top of the zone, if not above. It might have been out of the zone. So he does remarkable things back to ball that no other player has done. And I know fans get all over him. And I'll go back to what was said In 2019 after our report on the science dealing and after baseball penalized the astros i interviewed carlos correa this was on camera for mlb network and he was adamant that altube was not part of this later data showed that he was not part of this i know fans identify him with it and they think about the buzzer and all that stop it just stop it this guy is a great player he's been a great player for several years since this all happened if you're still thinking he's cheating so Really, Jose Altuve is someone worthy of our ad- admiration and respect, and he is just so much fun to watch. I,
1: I would, I would, I respect. I've been, part, I was part of that 17th team. The respect <laughs> factor to me, I, I, I would say, okay, I respect that he's a good player, but what he did, the respect factor still, I had to chime in there. No,
4: I, Todd, I get it. Understand. But of all the players on that team, sure, he's the one sure. that the players have said didn't do it. So. You can say, "Well, they're cheaters, so why wouldn't they be liars?" Yeah, I, I get it. Understand. I get it all. But the new rules have been in place since 2020, no, he, and, he, and He's, he's 2000 been unbelievable, he's been an
1: unbelievable yeah. player. He's still, out I, to... I, I agree. It still stings a little bit. That's all. <laughs> no, I understand
2: that, and it should, man. That's it, yeah. it's not good. No doubt. And I would, and I would couple what Correa said. If there was somebody, because I wasn't there in 17. But I know Altuve as a person. We flew to Japan together. We played for a little bit in 16 together. I would say he didn't. I would say he didn't. If there's somebody that fans can forgive, it would be him. But forgiveness is you all know in the person forgiving.
4: Eric, it's funny because I'll say this kind of thing from time to time, and people will tell me I'm an Astros apologist. If people remember who wrote the story with Evan Drellick about the sign-stealing
2: scandal, uh, it
4: was this guy, me. And it's not apologizing for them, but it is important to try to put things in context and to be fair. There's no question what they did was horrible. Horrible. But at the same time of the available information we have, we can only go off what people have said. There is data that reflects that he did not do it as well or did not do it to any extent. And we've seen his performance since the new rules were instituted. At some point, you have to look at the balance of all of that has happened.
2: Okay. I want to take the fans really deep into Ken Rosenthal's life because you said you were (laughs) on the bus with Tom Verducci before. And so when you're talking to Tom, in this picture, are you mixing like a tape for everybody? Like, are you making a (laughs) mixtape? Let me explain this picture. So... (laughs) AJ Brzezinski was
4: demanding (laughs) a picture of me on the bus because he thought I was flying private, which is just a crock. So we did take this bus. We called it the Fox party bus from Houston to Dallas. And that was me sitting in the back. I wasn't mixing anything. I was trying to listen to what players had said to me and quote them accurately in what I was writing. And I wrote that story on the bus. I have. Obviously, some physical challenges. You can take one look at me and know that. But I do have some unique qualities or, I don't know, weird things. I'm a certain age and I don't wear reading glasses. And I have the ability to write or do anything I want on the computer while in transit, in a bus, car, train, wherever. And it doesn't bother me at all. It bothers other people. And there were people who got off that bus who had a little bit of a stomachache, put it that way. But I was just writing there. I was writing my story and
2: that was that. You were you were de- you have great balance. You have great inner balance. That's what creates <laughs> yeah. no that's what it is. Maybe you're maybe <laughs> writing's not quite your thing. Maybe it should be like parkour or something. But that seat you stole. <laughs> I mean, I'm colorblind, I'm
4: short, I've had two back surgeries. There were all oh. kinds of flaws. Uh- I get
1: car sick
2: back there. there.
4: Yeah, things, There are certain things I've g- still got going for me, and that's one of them. I don't get car sick, yeah.
2: Your superpower, and you took that. That's that's a flex by you, taking that seat. That is the seat on the party bus that everybody <laughs> wants. So good like, for you. Leg room
1: for Kratzy. Eric
2: good for He's like
4: the last guy on the bus, so I don't know if I would agree with that, but yeah, it was cool. <laughs> back,
0: middle. Come on, <laughs>
4: Pack middle is a flex. <laughs> you, get those, you get your exactly.
0: legs out there, Kratz. Well, well, Ken, cool. enjoy the next one here, and we'll grab you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. night. Appreciate it. You too. Cheers. Ken Rosenthal covering the ALCS, <laughs> going from Texas to Houston, Houston to Texas via party bus, exactly how we thought Fox would get the job done. There's,
2: There's definitely a poll in that bus. It just didn't show up in the picture.
0: <laughs> not a poll like how we do poll questions.
2: Yeah, no, no. We're not talking about a question. Yeah. Hey, we.
0: most people have been on a party bus, you know, right?
2: Especially with lights like that. Mm. They don't just put lights no. like that on the, the airport shuttle bus. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> I, I just like <laughs> seatbelt, like
1: almost choking them too. It's great. He's safe.
0: Ugh. Safety first. All right. So no. I
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's slap hands. I'll go first so Mike Petriello who does a great job analyzing numbers in the game has kept us up to speed on the pitch clock and the time of game with the postseason and he said The clock violation, this was last night, that just happened, was only the fifth of the postseason. Four on pitchers, one on hitters. It just hasn't been an issue at all, to everyone's credit. Postseason average time of game is down from, in 2021, the average time was three hours, 37 minutes. We had plenty of games that went past four hours. Last year, we, we shaved five whole freaking minutes off. It was 3.32. This year, two hours, 59 minutes. They are nailing it. For the playoffs obviously playoffs is going to be longer than it is during the regular season there's yep. pitching changes there's longer breaks between innings the whole deal but it feels better there there's times where it would drag and again it's not about the time of game there's been wild games that are four and a half hours right like in baseball history of course but the game's the same it's still the same amount of freaking out we're not switching balls and strikes and all of that so for me you're just packing we've talked about this a lot but you're packing more more game into less time and that's a win. for Right? Any, Everyone's happy. No one's complaining. Anything around
1: 3 is great. Yep. I'm solid. You, I mean, 8 p.m., eight oh five, whatever it is, 8 o'clock 7 yeah. o'clock on the East Coast. Done by 11, 5, 11, 11 max. 11, 10. Oh, God. I can get a little snack before I go to bed. Maybe a little uh,
0: evening little cocktail. scotch. Yeah. You
1: brush, brush your teeth? No, we, don't, we with don't brush until the scotch. Yeah, we brush them with the scotch
2: around here, all right? <laughs> it's alcohol. That cleans you, right? You're looking for a
1: spritzer. I know what you're doing.
2: We haven't had any. Uh, we haven't had any extra inning games. I feel like the Rangers take tonight in extras. Oh, wow! How do you do? It? Okay. I'm gonna see what that parlay is. I'm just gonna check. Oh, it here out we right go. Now. You're
1: betting too much. Slow your roll now. Guys. Okay, okay, okay. I'll stop. <laughs> no, you can do. He's, he's
0: thrown out like four or five ideas.
1: What's on your Listen, head? What do you, you got? You got tonight? all the money there, kid.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: <clears throat> the OG hat. There's a lot of OG hats going down. Anybody? M H. Oh, give me give me the state. Look even look even closer. Mudheads? Is... Oh, the Toledo Mudheads. Nope.
1: Is that a an... knot? The kind first team I ever have?
2: first team I ever played for in Pro Bowl. Oh, the little league team.
1: The Pennsylvania Dutchman.
2: <laughs> in Pro Ball. In Pro Bowl. <laughs> no, we're Medicine talking, hat. Ma- we're talking Medicine about hat, ball. Thank you, Medicine
0: hat. hat. Wow, that's cool. That's the name of the city,
2: Medicine Hat. Yeah. That's if you look cool. at a, if you look at a map of Cal, of Alberta, yeah. it's Calgary, nothing, Edmonton, <laughs> and Med Hat. Cool.
0: Okay. I like it. I learned something there.
2: And Todd, Atlantic do
0: you know who, City, Borgata, in person, all of us. What
2: were
1: we gonna say to Todd?
2: I was gonna say, you know who Brian is from Delco? Delco Brian, no. Yeah, Brian from Delco, he's a dude who got smashed in the Phillies game when he was running out on the oh, field. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said I'm going to you I'm gonna do that to you tomorrow. I'm going to do that to you
1: tomorrow at Borgata. Come get
2: some. Come get some.
1: <laughs> Come get some. Meet me halfway.
0: Eric Kratz, office linebacker at Borgata. I see you him live you. with us. We will see you 1 o'clock Eastern on Friday in person if you're there. Bye. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.